What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, you are back. How was mm-hmm. Europe, man? It was uh, it was great, man. Uh, the best thing was I missed no eventful college football news. So that was <laughs> definitely didn't strand you here to explain the Pac-12 now being four teams. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, amazing. You see my uh, Berlin, I believe it's the um, Ice Bars, Eisenbars, uh, is the... Uh, berlin's national hockey team or sorry berlin's team in their national hockey league um yeah i got to do some really cool stuff got to attend an arsenal match um which is super cool my family is big into uh world war ii history so we got to see a bunch of you know bunkers and we got to see like the actual room where winston churchill like survived the bombings of london so really really cool stuff man it just gives you some perspective uh shows you you know you couldn't talk about college football for two weeks so i feel like i'm itching uh, but at the same time, you know, it's just good to see that, like, you know, or sometimes it's nice perspective to see that what we are kind of wrapped up in all day. A lot of the world is just like, cool, man, we're here rooting for the Eisenbars. So good luck with that. <laughs> I was rocking a jersey right now that's got strawberry Carl's logos on both shoulder pads. Wasn't good enough yes. to just have it on one. Had to get it on both, which don't see that every day. I, I imagine you didn't talk a whole lot of college football with random people that you would run into that didn't come up very often. They didn't, they didn't get into a realignment or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And let me get this right. It's Eisbaren. And you know, the best part of this, Connor, let me tell you about this. So I, I guess we're past the statute of limitations there. Cause none of this is actually legal. So, or like, like legal implications. So to get into a soccer match, guys, it requires a level of like national treasure tomfoolery because they have this thing over there in the premier league where they only want membership like it's like a costco to get into an arsenal thing match you have to have a membership and it's drawn from a lottery so i had to like coordinate with all these random europeans on whatsapp we had six tickets you couldn't get them in a batch you had to get two two and two and people were hitting me up on whatsapp and basically the whole thing is we had to not let people know that we were in their season tickets at an Arsenal match. And so you could imagine, like we talked about one of the last things I said before I left is that my family is bad at not being American. So just like imagine my mom, my stepdad, me and Brady, who were like three loggers deep. Okay, so we're outside of Arsenal Stadium, uh, Emirates Stadium. It's called the Magic Carpet. We're out there. It starts raining. We think to ourselves, and, and, and nobody's moving. We think, okay, it's a rain delay. No, no, they have put in a new ticketing system. So the gates just don't open. And there's this big mass of people. And me and Brady are sitting there trying to pretend to not be American for like 30 minutes. as Because we were told that if the guards found out that we were not who we said we were, we would be put in the clink. I don't know. But we just didn't want to figure it out. So we're sitting there. So. Yeah, I get Right. That. Right. And so we're sitting there and we're just like j- like laughing at like everything we talk about is incredibly American because Brady said something about like, oh, we were at the UCF game for Gus's debut and something like this happened. I was like, no, dude, we can't talk about college football. Yeah. And then we were just like surrounded by and dude, they don't talk to each other over there. Like they don't random people do not converse. So we're just sitting there in silence. And I'm like, do I do a bad British accent? Do I try to be Canadian nope. like you recommended me to do? And I'm sitting there and I just go. Hey man, what's going on here? And the guy goes, greatest quote, he goes, they play in all elements. One time they had a match canceled for snow in the 30s. They'll let us in. And I was like, all right, bro, we're in here. We're riding with you. But after a while, I mean, my mom was talking to everybody. So we did not get found out by the secret police of Arsenal football. Like I said, you guys can revoke my tickets. I don't care. I'm not going back. But it was a very gut-wrenching, or not gut-wrenching, it was a very 
dramatic situation to get us into this Arsenal match. But, you know, I, I got to do some sports stuff while I was there is the moral of the story. Sweet. Sounds like Argo, but with European soccer or football, as they call it. Yeah, Sounds just be happy. Fun. You know, yeah. when you're paying, you know, 10 grand for your Georgia-Tennessee tickets, be happy that you can even buy them. Because over there, like, you can't buy them. You have to go in the black market. Okay, good to know. And <laughs> I, I think that the college football fans going abroad is would be a fantastic video series that I would absolutely watch. Would love to mm-hmm. see something like that. Good to have you back, Will. You came back like right in the thick of it, man. Like we got a lot to be able to yep. to discuss. Um, already went through all the, the realignment stuff. I'm sure you're a little bit realignment out uh, based on like catching up and seeing a bunch of old tweets. So not going to discuss that today. Plan for mm-hmm. today. I've got a few thoughts on Graham Mertz being named Florida starter. Kentucky running back Ray Davis is going to join us in a bit. Great to connect with him for the first time. And we're going to close with daycare and figuring out. But first, I love it when the AP poll drops. The preseason AP mm-hmm. poll is something that I've circled on the calendar every single year. Whatever. I'm a nerd. I look forward to it. You can tell me that polls don't matter. I think that polls do matter. They don't determine success, but they matter because with an eight month off season selling that you have 10, like a top 10 team. I think that matters for ticket sales and primetime TV slots, recruiting booster donations, all those things. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. I actually saw this, um, Steve Berkowitz tweeted this, that Kyle Whittingham got a $15,000 bonus because Utah started off in the top 15 of the preseason AP poll. Isn't that incredible? How'd that go last year? Well, who cares? You get a bonus. I mean, yeah. it finished what Utah finished what like 16th or something like that. So you know, I just mean preseason. The years. season did not start off well for Utah last year. Still, for the the preseason ranking bonus is you need to be able to get that. You need to have that in your contract if you're a head mm-hmm. coach at this level. So if you did not see it or just need a little bit of a refresher, Georgia one, Michigan two, Ohio State three, Bama four, LSU five, USC six, Penn State seven, Florida State eight, Clemson nine, Washington ten. SEC also had Tennessee at twelve, Ole Miss at twenty two, and A and M at twenty three. Um, I don't have an AP poll vote, so don't don't hate on me for any rankings or anything like that. Okay, but I do think that. There are certain moments that I look at, even as a consumer of the sport, where I get mad. Okay. And one of those things is Georgia not being a unanimous number one. Georgia not getting every single first place vote in the preseason mm-hmm. AP poll. And I realize one of those three who did not vote for him, if you go check out Reddit College Football, always has the voter by voter breakdown. Go go check that out. Reese Davis is one of those three people that did not put Georgia as a preseason number one. So not to call out Reese, big fan, copied his skincare routine after we had him on the show a couple years ago, still swear by it to this day. But uh, yeah, two, two of those votes that Georgia didn't get went to Michigan, one went to Ohio State, zero went to Bama, which as Reddit College Football pointed out, that hasn't happened since 2015, that Bama didn't get a preseason first place vote. We know what happened that year. You've already heard me rant about that. You can have your opinion, but your opinion can be wrong. Ranking anyone but Georgia as the preseason number one is just wrong. It just is. Like, well, let's sorry. let's start here. If you said, okay, the Ohio State Georgia game was down to the wire, I got to I'm going to vote Ohio State because I think they were just a hair's breadth away from Georgia. Maybe I understand that. What are we seeing out of Michigan here? Here's the problem. Then you're ranking Ohio State ahead of Michigan. Yes, because they have more talent and they could beat Georgia, and Michigan just can't do that. They just can't. 
But at the same time, then you're saying like, okay, so Ohio State, we're just assuming that they're automatically better than Michigan, even though Michigan waxed them each of the last two years, won the Big Ten, and had a and had a better overall record. I would, I that's why I couldn't rank Ohio State ahead of Michigan in a preseason poll. Now, mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between thinking Ohio State could have won that game and saying Ohio State deserves to start off as preseason number one. And those are two different things. Or you could say like Ohio State should is going to finish there. Um, I don't think that this should be an end of season projection. Preseason rankings shouldn't be that. If you're getting right. into strength of schedule, that's the dumbest thing ever. And you should not do that in a preseason ranking. And arguing against the two-time defending national champs for preseason uh, preseason number one, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. Like the only game that they lost the last two seasons was the best coach in the history of college football with the Heisman Trophy winner playing the best game of his career. Okay, mm-hmm. and when you have to replace fifteen guys from the NFL draft and then you just go fifteen and zero and you win the national championship sixty-five to seven, you you earn the benefit of the doubt. Okay, you you just do. Like I, I'm sorry if you want to pick apart like oh you know George doesn't have the defensive line talent after the Bear Alexander transfer they lost Jalen Carter. I, I get all of those things. You're still giving that team the benefit of the doubt. Okay, let's not. We don't need to overthink that one. Georgia preseason number one. Set it and forget it. Let's not think twice about that. Are you okay with that? Yeah, and like I said, it would be you know one thing if it was a really strong Clemson team that barely you know whatever last year, or if it was Alabama, or if it was like one of these teams we've seen do it before. I just I know I've already said it. I'm just hung up on Michigan who have never won a playoff game who, you know, I guess they're recruiting a little bit better, but it's it's just so funny to me that like, yeah, you're right. Michigan beat Ohio State twice. I get it. But that is so clearly their Super Bowl. And then they lose to a TCU team who just got blown out. And it's like, what do you think? Like you genuinely believe that Michigan right now is the best team in the country when Georgia's right there. I get rogue people being Big Ten homers and picking Ohio State because they have all the five stars. Like maybe you can be like, I was right about Ohio State. That opinion just does not exist about Michigan. I'm sorry. But yeah, there's no one who deserves a vote that that is waiting in the wings this year is the point we're making. Yes, exactly. Um, so let's let's talk about that. Two through four, I think, is where this is kind of interesting. I'm kind of okay with if you wanted to have Bama at two, I could actually get behind that. But I I had Michigan at two, I had Ohio State at three, I had Bama at four. The Michigan pushback is justified in my opinion. The saying that Michigan is worthy of number one or they're no doubt for that number two spot. Here's where I'd push back on that because I was I was thinking of the way that I wanted to communicate this because I've I've struggled with like why why am I just not fully on board with pencil, penciling in Michigan because they've totally dominated the big time the last two years. They are number five in the country in percentage of returning production. For a team that mm-hmm. went to the college football playoff, that is unheard heard of okay that is not the type of roster that you typically bring back from a team that has been to consecutive playoff berths but here's where i i have my yeah but with michigan and if you're looking for one i think you're probably going to land on something that sounds an awful lot like this the last six years michigan has played seven games against non-big 10 power five teams who went to a bowl game well they went one in six in those games okay oh my gosh their one win was killing Notre Dame. What was that? 2019, I think. 2019. Demolished Notre we Dame. We don't talk about that. Now, now Brian Kelly has five stars. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. But think about it. If you have skepticism, it's it, it's probably because of that. Cool. It, it, like it's, it's great that Michigan has whooped the Big Ten. Like done everything that Michigan fans have been waiting to see from the Harbaugh era. 
But at the same time, like you can't demand that type of respect when you get on the national stage and okay, it's one thing you got blown out by a Georgia team that that Georgia team wasn't going to lose to anybody. 2021, they were on a war path. They were winning a national championship. I get it. But then to have the TCU loss as well. And Mm -hmm. you don't play anybody in non-conference play. That's the big thing. That's the big thing. If you're going on the road and like, even if it was just winning at Texas or something like that, that'd be a little bit different. Michigan had some shuffling with, with some of the matchups with, I think they had some matchup issues with, we got crying baby in the background. I had Michigan had like some shuffling of the schedule with matchups that were, that were changed as well. I want to say that that was, that was one of the issues um, with why they didn't have a loaded non-conference schedule to start off the decade. But that's the pushback. And to me, like you can't just ignore the fact that against teams that have looked decent, that are outside of the Big Ten, they've lost to them. And that factors right. into a preseason ranking. I think that should be at least part of the conversation, though I still have Michigan at two. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I kind of like previewed this a little bit. And hey, welcome back to me immediately stepping over the first point you're trying to make. Um, but that was the, that was going to be my point about Michigan is that like, yeah, they can beat Ohio State, but like Ohio State kind of proved last year that doesn't even matter because they still got in, they still almost beat Georgia, and again, probably the game of the year in terms of what mattered was the Ohio State Georgia game because of the talent. So it's like Michigan and and that TCU team. I mean, I was saying all year, and I, I'm not you know I'm not going to go do revisionist history on that. That you know once that TCU team met an actual serious organization i mean they lost to kansas state they almost lost to kansas state twice uh they meet they meet michigan and i'm sitting here going michigan you know has at least four stars they have so much more talent than tcu with sunny dyke surely they'll run them over and it's like brother you can't even beat tcu like why and that team goes on to play georgia in in the biggest snooze fest of a championship game of our lives so like i just feel like if michigan was this team that was you know ready you know they had their chance against georgia and, but like you said you know that was a generational georgia team but they TCU sure wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing is they had an easier path than Georgia did to get to the championship. I mean, it's just obvious considering how badly Georgia beat TCU. Um, I don't want to play revisionist history, but we just, when you look at the talent on the rosters, it was kind of unfair that Georgia had to play Ohio state in the first round and Michigan got what should have been a walkover and they didn't handle business like they never do. So I'm just not ready to take them seriously until they do that. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like I'm acknowledging, I put them at number two. I put them at number two, but I'm not, I'm not in this position where I'm like, you have to have them at number two and there's no other argument because I do think the other argument, the other argument is Bama. And so let's, let's talk about that because I mean, the internet basically said there, there are only two reactions that are appropriate. Either Bama is wildly overrated at number four or they're underrated and a national championship is coming just as a result of that. First time Bama isn't a preseason top three team since 2009. And hmm. if you're one of those people who thinks it's just Bama fatigue, I would push back on that. I would say, remind me then why a two-loss non-division champ with a new starting quarterback, two new coordinators, and a team who ranks 125th in the country out of 133 FBS teams in percentage of returning production is being disrespected by being ranked number four. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's not that's not disrespect. That's just acknowledging some basic factors. At the same time. If you are putting Bama at eight or nine, which I don't think anybody did. I think the lowest I saw Bama was at seven. I think that was the lowest that they were put at by anybody. But even if you're putting them at seven or outside of your top five, you're saying that it's totally insignificant that the Tide played in two of the last three national championships, nine of the last 14 national championships. 
and that they still have one of the two or three most talented rosters in the country with the best coach in the history of college football. You're, you're saying that that doesn't really matter to you anymore. And if you truly feel that USC or Florida State would beat Bama tomorrow, I personally would go with the team who has just three losses to non-SEC teams and just one non-top five finish in the playoff era. Okay, like that's what I would default to. And everybody says, well, last year's a sign that Bama's fallen off the face of the earth. Bama still finished number five in the country. Okay, let's. Right. Uh, Bama's floor is still better than all of these ceilings that we're talking about with USC and with Florida State. And I know Florida State's the ultimate good vibes team. I've banged the drum for them a lot. I'm going to probably bang the drum for them a little bit more, but that's kind of where I push back. And I'm like, so we're saying because Florida State won a non New Year's Six Bowl and they got to 10 wins and they finished well that they're all of a sudden like, worthy of being at this this different level where we assume that they're better than Bama. I'm not there just yet with that. Um, I think certain teams deserve the benefit of the doubt a little bit in the preseason poll, and then certain teams don't. I think Bama, more so than not, probably deserves a little bit of the benefit of the doubt until they truly do fall off the face of the earth. And to me, that that was my only pushback for those saying that Bama is like not worthy of being in the top five to start off. Yeah, I mean, part of me wants to do the joking, like, gotcha thing about, like, oh, well, Michigan has to be ahead of Ohio State because they beat them, but LSU doesn't have to be above Bama. But we know why, because one is Nick Saban. So at the end of the day, it's, like, very simple to be like, hey, we can acknowledge all of these issues with Alabama, two new coordinators. We, we've had offensive line issues, which we thought we'd never see at Alabama. We don't exactly know who the quarterback is. The options aren't even great. But at the end of the day, we still feel like we're going to be looking at a probably 10 or 11 win team in Alabama, and nobody wants to be the guy to not say that. Exactly. And I, I think that if, if you're one of those people that, that says Bama losing a game or if they lose to Texas, they're going to drop out of the top 15, they're going to drop out of like the top 20 or something like that. Even that, in my opinion, would be a little bit of an overreaction. It would be a chink in the armor. But I do think that there are more arguments to be made for Alabama as opposed to against Alabama. Who's overrated then? I think three Texas. teams. Yes, Texas, obviously. <laughs> just pencil it in every single year. I, don't, don't even pencil it in. Just permanent ink. Texas is going to be overrated coming into a season. Texas is one of them. Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Those were the three Go figure, all soon-to-be former Big 12 to SEC teams. Um, three teams that I, I thought were getting too much love in the preseason poll. I'm kind of surprised, though, that Texas didn't start off in the top 10. I was ready for that. They just just outside of it at 11. Mm-hmm. So, so close, but not preseason top 10. I, uh, I, I had Texas at 17 to start off, so at 11 was still just too high for me. And I say that as someone who, look, I'm – I'm a believer that Texas is going to win the Big 12. I love the portal moves. I love that they went out and got A.D. Mitchell. They got Jalen Catalan. Could be all conference players for a conference champ. You know we are 100% a pro Quinn Ewers pod. Let, let me see that guy spin it for an entire season. I hope he stays healthy. I'm a believer in the talent. I've been saying for a while now, if you think Arch Manning is going in there and winning that job over a pre-draft Quinn Ewers, you're out of your freaking mind. Even without the mullet, which apparently he's gotten better without the mullet, he's going to be a stud. Okay, I think he will be. I'm bored with all of that. And top 20 in percentage of returning production, these are all pro-Texas things. What I don't love, and this is where I think that Texas gets way too much of the benefit of the doubt. A team with one top 15 finish in the last 13 seasons gets to jump the line coming off a five-loss season wherein it went six and five against Power 5 competition. That's, come on, like, 
we, we need to we need to have some sort of acknowledgement of that because if they're really good, they're gonna get the love. Okay, they're gonna get mm-hmm. they're gonna get that love no matter what. What's probably going to happen though is that Texas, if they lose at Bama, they'll be like the top one loss team, and I'll be like, based on what? Okay, based. And then there'll be the top two loss team, and then they'll yes. be the top three loss team, and then they'll be the top four loss team. And then you get slotted into a better bowl game. And just like that, we're like, oh, hey, eight and four Texas. Oh, but they're the best four loss team. Like that's this watch out last year. Exactly. I ranked TCU ahead of Texas. Okay. I I I got a ton of heat from my friends at the next round for doing that. They don't have TCU in their top 25 at all, which I I think that is bananas. Bananas. Yeah. Like I fully acknowledge TCU lost a ton. I don't think they finished with a Big 12 title this year. I mean, they didn't last year either. But it baffles me <laughs> that just because 65-7 to 7 happened and they lost a lot, some are like, no, we can't rank them at all. Even though, and here's where I would push back, if Texas did what TCU just did, we'd be saying Texas is about to win five national titles. Texas is about mm-hmm. to embark on a dynasty. But because it was TCU, we're like, no, 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 no. Confirmation bias. We can't have them in the preseason top 25 after they just went to a national championship like I don't know. Um, I didn't think TCU was underrated at 17. I actually thought that they were right about where they should have been. Oklahoma at 20, though. I mean, what are what are we doing here? You got a team that went three and six against Big 12 competition. They had a losing record last year. They did so with a first time head coach who brings mm-hmm. back a team that doesn't rank in the top 70 in percentage of returning production. Yet that team, that team gets the benefit of the doubt. And I get 20 years before it, they were set it and forget it. They totally were. I, I don't think that they deserve that kind of benefit of the doubt at all. Um, I, I had Wisconsin as a top 25 team coming off of a seven and six season, but that was mm-hmm. largely because, okay, they added Luke Fickle. They had one of the 10 best coaches yeah. in college football. That's a little bit different than just assuming Brent Venables all of a sudden, just like that, boom, he's back to having, at least a new year six bowl contender, which maybe they will be by the end of the season. But I think so much of this should be based on what we saw the previous season in Oklahoma for me. Like I, I just don't really get what off season moves suggest that they are worthy of getting that kind of preseason love. So that was, that was an obvious one for me. And then um, did you have any thoughts on that before I go to Anna? Um, yeah, there's a couple of things earlier you were talking about. Yeah, but, and there's a very, yeah, but top 10 here, right? Georgia's obvious, like Georgia's Georgia. Michigan, like you said, yeah, but they can't beat anyone outside of the Big Ten. Ohio State, yeah, but they can't beat Michigan. Maybe they, maybe they can't win the big one because they've only, under um, Ryan Day, done it in the COVID year, which we've talked about that. Alabama, yeah, but we've talked about that. LSU, don't worry about them. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, the thing about LSU is like there, there should be such better vibes around LSU, but it is still a Brian Kelly thing, honestly. It's still a, we don't know how Brian Kelly, we do know how Brian Kelly does with expectations. It's not great. Uh, just to be honest with you, and it's like this is the year that's really going to be a prove-it year for Brian Kelly because last year losing the AM wasn't a big deal. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is just, we've already, you, you won, won the West. West. No. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like if that happens next year, it's going to be like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, like so point being, to be a top five team consistently, you need to not do the things that Brian Kelly has done in these big games. I understand that. USC, I mean, come on, bro. I mean, how long are we going to let this dude Lincoln Riley fool us, bro? Who's he got to lose to? He got to lose a lot of tech in a bowl game? He lost to Tulane last year. All right, Penn State. They're Penn State. End of that. Uh, but then you get to FSU and Clemson. I'm real big on FSU this year. I saw your top, like your ranking. I think you're kind of there with me. I think that like, I personally might put FSU. I mean, 
I'll put them right where LSU is and they beat LSU last year. So like, what have we seen from FSU? Here's the thing. We wanted to dump on them for the Travis Hunter thing. And I think that is not great. But given what we've seen since then, I think losing that recruit to Deion Sanders has aged a little bit better. You see the level they've been recruiting at. They've been the best recruiting team in Florida that's not stupid. Okay. Because if you don't count Miami, they've been, other than that one really weird year where Miami like paid all those guys with, with Bitcoin, FSU has been the best recruiting team in Florida. They've consistently built, you know, this, this machine and they're doing it again. And you're like, you've beaten an SEC team. You've won a bowl game. What else does FSU need to do? They're returning Gotta probably the third best. That's, I mean, that's yeah. Okay. Uh, that, and that makes sense. But they're returning probably the third best quarterback, if not the second in college football in Jordan Travis. They have, all of the questions, and if you look at their offensive schemes with these cutbacks, the things they do, I mean, I respect them a lot. And then Clemson, their issue is their offense. They've replaced their offensive coordinator. So, I don't know. I, I'm looking at kind of the back end of this top 10, Washington and Clemson, Florida State. I'm like, what are y'all not seeing here? These guys, like, obviously, Michael Penix is back. Like, what are you guys not seeing? So, yeah, there, there are some teams that very early in the top are very, yeah, but. But then the bottom of the top 10, you're like, I could really buy into some of these guys. Yeah, I, I think there's there's an argument to be made for that. And, and I think the 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 biggest pushback that I have with Florida State is the Clemson thing. And be Clemson since mm-hmm. since Jamin, since Jameis Winston was there. Okay. That Oof. that is the big issue for them. And until you get over that hump, yeah, there's there's a case to be made that maybe maybe you shouldn't even be ranked ahead of Clemson to start the season. Although I had Florida State ahead of Clemson. And I had I, I thought I had a realistic expectation for what they were going to be in the AP poll. And I was actually surprised that Florida State was only eight. I thought they were going to be a little bit higher. I had them ranked mm-hmm. ahead of LSU to start off. And, and they beat LSU you, in, yeah. in New Orleans where LSU never loses. Like, I get it. I really do. And I, I Okay, so let's go through Let's go through some of this. Um, we don't need to spend any more time on AM. and I've, I've talked about that a ton. <laughs> but right. some of the, the, the stuff about teams that are underrated. Um, mm-hmm. And like there are some little things because I'm going to get to something that you were that you were just hitting on there, like the, those those fringe like top ten teams, because I, I think we could all look at at the poll and be like, oh, you know, I I thought teams like Texas Tech, South Carolina, Mississippi State, they should have all started in the top twenty five, in my opinion, but there weren't a ton of head scratchers. I did, however, have America's team, my Utah Utes, at number eight, and they were only at fourteen. I thought they should have started mm-hmm. off in the top ten. And I'm kind of surprised that they didn't get more love. I would rank them as the top Pac-12 team in the preseason poll. That shouldn't be considered bold because they've won the Pac-12 each the last two years. And they're 16th in the country in percentage of returning production. That's that's pretty mm-hmm. good. What I I guarantee you this factored into not having them ahead of a Washington, ahead of a USC, the USC team that they beat twice last year. Um I That's the other you, thing. If we're going to take, if we have to take Michigan over Ohio State, we cannot put USC ahead of Utah because they can't beat them. Yes. They can't beat them. I mean, it's like in no universe could you ever put that team over Utah until they beat them once. They had two opportunities and got skull dragged, dog walked. They were basura in both of those games. What? And that Utah never changes. So, like, what are we worried about there? And it's head to head is is a factor. It's not everything because like I'm not sitting here telling you, oh, well, I have to rank A and M A and M ahead of LSU because A and M blew the doors off LSU. It's like, well, A and M was five and seven, and LSU actually won the West, so it's right. a little bit different. But where I push back on this with with Utah is, I I, I think there's a, a bit of a preseason bias with their schedule. It's one of the most difficult schedules in college football. It, it just mm-hmm. is. And maybe there's a little bit of uncertainty with Cam Rising status coming off the torn ACL. I'll just say it right now. He's playing against Florida. 
he's playing. Okay. If, if you think that guy's going to miss an opportunity like that to open the season Thursday night, prime time at home, he's playing. So I, I have no doubt whatsoever. And maybe somebody will clip this and this will come back to bite me very well. Could whatever I'll bet on cam rising. Okay. I will. Mm-hmm. Utah had six preseason first team, all pack 12 guys. Cam rising wasn't even one of them. Okay. They've got another really, really good team. I thought that them only getting the number 14 spot with what they brought back was, was surprising. Um, though I get it because the pack 12 is just good. I will bang the drum that the top of the Pac-12, top half of the Pac-12 should be fun this year. And it could be a bit all over the place. So I know there was a a lot of those teams kind of bunched in that same spot where you're like "Ah, six through 15, you can kind of be interchangeable. But I just thought Utah not being ranked ahead of USC was like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Surely such a deep tradition, rich conference could get a single television deal. That's you're way late on that joke. You're like, 10 days late on that. I'm jet lagged. Don't blame me. All right. Unbelievable. I, I don't know how news travels where you were in Europe, but we, we hit that hard. Okay. Like, what was all... I going to do? Tweet it at 2 a.m. for one like? Uh-uh. <laughs> I actually love now, like waking up at weird times in the night, you know, with, with, with Claire when she needs, when she needs, you know, feeding or something like that. And, and I'll like look at my phone and be like, who's firing off this tweet at 2.45 in the morning? Like mm-hmm. tweeting out a link to a column or something like that. I'm always blown away that there are people that are willing to do that. But I catch all of them now. So I guess I'm the audience for it. Connor seeing Twitter after dark for the first time, just horrified looking at his oh. phone. Like, is this what you'll have been doing while I'm asleep? This is disgusting. <laughs> and then I try and figure out like, ah, oh, maybe this person's in a different time zone or something like that. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, they're on the West Coast. But then I'm like, no, it's still two in the morning. They should be firing this off right now. Uh, but yeah, what were we talking about? Oh, okay. Yeah. Underrated teams. One last mm-hmm. thing. And this speaks to the that top 10 area where there's, uh, I think uh, people have gone a lot of different ways. Clemson being ranked ahead of Tennessee is really dumb. It's really dumb. And I have Clemson in the playoff this year. I'm a Clemson believer. I think the Garrett Riley thing is going to work. I patted Dabo on the back. I said, look, in the adapter die mantra that we hold near and dear to our hearts on this here podcast, you're finally mm-hmm. adapting. Good for you, Dabo. Way to go. But Clemson ahead of Tennessee is dumb. It's just flat dumb. We saw Joe Milton in Tennessee stomp Kate Klubnick in Clemson. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those are the teams that they're bringing back this year. They had their opt outs. We saw those teams play. And if you're saying, well, okay, that was different because Garrett Riley wasn't there. So Garrett Riley's an upgrade over Josh Heupel, the guy with five consecutive top eight offenses. No, no, absolutely not. Like I, he won the bros ward. He was Give him credit. I guess he was better last year, despite the fact that Tennessee had the number one offense in college football and mm-hmm. looked better against Clemson side by side. Or, well, I, I shouldn't say Clemson because Garrett Riley wasn't there. You get what I'm saying. I think that that is just a weird move and a weird move that shows you sometimes voters, they can underthink that. They can underthink what a head to head loss in a bowl game will be. Like, I'm not sitting here ranking. Utah ahead of Penn State, even though I do think it's a different game if Cam Rising stays healthy in the Rose Bowl. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. Penn State whooped them. Okay? Like, if they bring back the same teams, I'd still be like, yeah, I would probably bet on Penn State to to go out and beat Utah. And when you know losses are really similar, that just doesn't make any sense. And Tennessee had fewer losses than Clemson too. It's like, what? I mean, both lost to South Carolina. I I don't know. To me, that's that's just that was one of those weird things. That I just thought I I don't think people are going to talk about that because Tennessee. Being 12, Clemson being, what, 9? That's not baffling by any stretch of the imagination. 
But I just that was one of those things that left me kind of scratching my head, going, "Do do we just not pay attention at all to, to the bowl game or or anything like that, or the amount of losses that just that was relevant?" Um, anyway, nobody besides Tennessee fans are probably going to care about that, but I just thought it was worthy of of bringing up. Any other takeaways? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, you can you know we can bet on Clemson as far as like a legacy property that Dabo will figure it out. Texas is so disrespectful ahead of Tennessee. They've been. Texas has been trying to do what Tennessee did last year for like 20 years. Okay. Forever. The last good, the last good Texas coach is at North Carolina and they're at 21 somehow. But I will say the most disrespectful ranking for sure in here is TCU. Um, I don't know if y'all watched Max Duggan play last year. It wasn't like he was Joe Burrow out there. I'm not going to say the guy wasn't a winner because he was, but like, if you think they're losing this like 50 touchdown Baker Mayfield guy, I think he, made the plays he needed to make, but their offense was kind of ugly last year. And they might have, honestly. Well, he's pretty darn good last year, man. Like, I, he's not on that level. He's not on that level. I, I fully acknowledge that. But if there's, if we have moments this year in which we're like, TCU misses Max Duggan badly, it will not surprise me. I I, I think, mm, I, I'll push back a little bit. I mean, I had him second on my Heisman ballot. I thought he was right, but I'm saying like, is it number two to number 17 bad? That's what I'm saying. Well, like, it's, it's not... That. Right, but what I mean, it's kind of what else because it's like they were a team of just kind of duct tape last year. Like, if you believe in this system, and I was a guy who was saying, I, I literally said in this very podcast, that I thought TCU was a little bit fraudulent last year, and they saw it in the championship game. But at the same time, I mean, both of these teams, Kansas State and TCU, it's like, what else do you want me to do, dog? Like, we, like Kansas State somehow gets matched up with Alabama inexplicably in the last college game of two guys that wouldn't play at any other school, and they get their skulls beaten in because that's what Alabama does in bowl games when they're not in the championship. And then, you know, you got TCU down here at 17. I mean, that's got to be the lowest a, a national championship participant has been. And I understand that game wasn't close, but, like, it's just, it's just like, that I, you know, that I can, I can physically remember because, like, LSU lost the actuality of Joe Burrow, and they went from number one to number six. And that was the best college quarterback I've ever seen. You know what I'm saying? Why are you wincing at me? Did I just I'm, wincing because well? I'm wincing because I was going to look that stat up, and I just forgot to. I forgot to look up that stat. I was going to have the exact thing that you just brought up. Who is the lowest ranked team coming off a year in which they finished in the national championship? Yeah, that's ridiculous. 17 is ridiculous, man. If you're going to give these other guys benefit of the doubt, and this is Sonny Dykes in year two, like, come on, bro. Start him in the top at least 15. That's not, that, like, that's, that's disrespectful outside of 15. Anyway. Yeah, I had him in 16. So I guess I disrespected <laughs> a little bit. But here I was banging the drum for him, saying that, that you can't just put him outside of your top 25. Yeah. Like, if, if you're coming up with 25 teams ahead of the team that just played in the last college football game of the season, like, come on, let's. Let's let's right. figure out a different way to to evaluate this. But um, yeah, polls matter. Tell your friends, polls are really important. What also matters, Will? Graham Mertz. He is QB one. That is QB one for Florida. He is not QB one in my SEC quarterback rankings. I have him quarterback fourteen in my SEC quarterback rankings. Not great. But here's the thing: we find out Billy Napier. He comes out, names him the starter. Second week of August, he beats out Jack Miller, which not necessarily a surprise. Everyone is saying all the right things about Graham Mertz. Okay. We're, we got Nick De La Torre had the quote from Caleb Douglas saying that Mertz's music is a hit in the locker room. He's got chill vibes, making an impression, doing all the right things. Uh, applaud him for being able to fit in. You talk about culture shock. If you're going to experience any of that, clearly that hasn't necessarily been the case. Good on him for that. This doesn't appear to be some locker room divided. We talked about that a lot with, with the Joe Burrow thing when he got to LSU 
And he immediately was like, no, I'm the guy and I'm going to show you I'm the guy. And you had a bunch of guys in that locker room who approach coach. Oh, and they say like, Hey, like, we don't really think you're, you're thinking clearly about this one. And he's like, Nope, I'm going, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it turns out to be the right decision. This doesn't appear to be a situation like that. Or if it is, they're doing a really good job of hiding it publicly. It shouldn't come as a surprise that Graham Mertz, a three-year power five starter, stepped into that quarterback room, separated himself enough to where Billy Napier was willing to say, let's not hide this. Let's give him all the reps with the ones. Let's make sure that we're ready for that early game at Utah to kick off the season. If Billy Napier proves all of us wrong, this changes everything for him. And by us, I don't mean just you and I will. I mean the vast majority of people who looked at this vacancy, this QB1 vacancy in Gainesville, and they thought that Florida was about to get one of the top two quarterbacks in the portal, only to end up with a guy who, as I said earlier in the offseason, was a whole lot more hungry man frozen dinner than steak dinner. That's For now, that's what we're going to compare Graham Mertz to. Billy Napier said that he evaluated 20 quarterbacks in the portal and they picked Mertz as the guy. That is his way of saying we see traits that others don't. He's put himself in a position, Billy Napier has, where he he better be right because if he's not, he will run out of opportunities to show that he is the smartest person in the room. I do not believe he's on the hot seat. I want that on record. I do not think Billy Napier is getting fired this year. I don't think that the AD who hired him, Scott Strickland, is about to say at the end of year two, you know what? I was wrong. Let's pay this guy $31 million not to work, which is $10 million mm-hmm. more million than the richest buyout ever paid to a head coach. But look around, okay? And this is mm-hmm. what I mean when I say, like, you, you don't get that many chances to prove everyone wrong, especially at a big-time job. I keep telling people this all the time. Head coaches as primary play callers are becoming a thing of the past. If you can't make it work with the number four overall pick in the NFL draft, then the guy that you handpicked out of, as you said, 20 quarterbacks in the portal, Mm -hmm. that's pretty bad if you can't make that at least somewhat passable. And that, that to me, is a sign that you need to adapt in a hurry, especially as all of these offensive play callers in the SEC have kind of fallen by the wayside. Eli Drinkowitz is like, I need an offensive coordinator. Jimbo Fisher, after six months of being coy with it, was like, yeah, okay, we have a play car. He's going to do his thing. Bobby Petrino is going to call plays for us. Billy Napier is not at that level yet. He's just not. If Mertz isn't at least in the middle of the pack as an SEC quarterback, Billy Napier should fire himself as an offensive play caller and find someone who can do that job. It's really simple. Okay. It would be really ironic if that's what happened, considering that his predecessor, he probably does that better than 99% of the college football world, but obviously recruiting issues, Mullins 2020, they played a significant role in his downfall. You heard about that. If you listened to the podcast the last couple of weeks, friend um, of the program, I was about to say, yeah, friend of the program. I, I don't think we've exchanged, you know, a bunch of back and forth texts since then, mm-hmm. but you know, I, and I didn't all of a sudden listen to Dan Mullen for an hour and be like, Oh, I'm all in on that guy. He's, he's a dude. I'm going to bat right. for everything he said. I've had a couple of moments where I've had to be like, Oh yeah. Like he said this and I didn't necessarily agree with him, but this is what he said. And I'm glad that he said it on our airwaves. As for Napier, this is the first time since year one of the Mullen era that Florida is starting unranked in the AP poll. It's 2018, five years ago. Since year one of the Spurrier era, 1990, it's the sixth time that Florida is starting unranked. That's it. That's pretty good. I do think it's fair to say that this season has the lowest preseason expectations of any Florida season in my lifetime. I was born in 1990. Okay. I guess that would be. Mm, well, I think last year was, I think last year was less. 
Because if you think about everything they lost in the portal and everything, I don't know, man. You can't get worse than last year. But preseason expectations, that's what we're talking about. Preseason expectations, you had Anthony Richardson coming back. And there right. was an expectation that at least he is going to be fun to watch. I think they were picked, were they picked to finish third in the East. They were picked to finish fifth. Their regular season over under wasn't five and a half wins. Mm. I mean, this is this is a little bit different in that regard. And even, even though there were expectations that were, I'd say, pedestrian by Florida standards, all that kind of went out the window after the first game. All of it. Mm-hmm. The Utah mm-hmm. game changed everything, of course. So maybe I'm maybe I'm forgetting a little bit of that, but I do think that expectations this year are even lower than they were coming into last year because of the quarterback situation. Um, I will say we were pretty much dead on about Florida all year, and I think that Florida fans and media were like a lot higher on them than we were, but we were pretty like they're going to be about a 500 team. Prepare yourselves. And even Billy, because Billy Napier said it. So we were just like, I believe Billy Napier. And everybody else was like, especially after the Utah win, I think that crept into the top like 15, 12. And it was like, oh, this team's back. Like they're, they're so back. And so, yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think we were just lower on them, and we ended up being right. Yeah. And look, I, I, and I was obviously wrong about that first game with my preseason darling Utah Utes. They we were also exactly wrong about the Vandy game, though. So it bounced out. This is true. Good point, Will. Good point. Yes, it all worked out in the end. Um, if Florida had Grayson McCall or Sam Hartman or Devin Leary, that over-under is not five and a half wins. It's not. Right. It's, it's probably closer to seven, I'd say. Uh, depends. I mean, you don't know what receivers transfer as a result of that, but whatever. I mean, Florida's got a lot of young receivers that look really promising. I know CD has talked very highly of them. We'll kind of wait and see on that, but... That over-under is, uh, in large part, because of the quarterback situation. We're not mm-hmm. being haters by being skeptical of Graham Mertz. He's yet to have a quarterback rating better than 135. That number drops below 100 if you just look at the ranked opponents, AP top 25 opponents that he faced. He's got negative rushing yards in his career. Not a whole lot of year three starters are asked to throw the football just 22 times per game. And if you say, oh, well, that's just Wisconsin. And, you know, it was just the system. So Wisconsin gets a new system. Luke Fickle comes in. His staff takes over. He's got the air raid. It's Phil Longo. They didn't want him to run it. They didn't. Florida Mm -hmm. would like to. In their ideal world, they would like to have their 2023 version of like an Austin Appleby. That's been the comp. If he's a guy who can at least be middle of the pack after being a pretty underwhelming Big Ten starter, then you're not in the worst spot. You have your bridge guy. That's what it's all about. Have your bridge guy. Maybe it's going to be a better system for Graham Mertz, but as much as I love the Florida backfield, I don't think that you can just assume that he'll have a better ground game than the one that they had with Wisconsin, Braylon Allen, and that mm-hmm. offensive line. They were they were still really solid. We also don't know that it's going to be a better system to be able to throw the football. Nothing we saw from Billy Napier last year suggests that Mertz is about to be the second coming of Hendon Hooker. That's the guy a lot of coaches are going to point to moving forward. A lot of coaches who really believe in their own abilities to be able to develop quarterbacks are going to look at Hendon Hooker and say, look what happened when you got him in the right system. That guy was being misused even at 23, 24 years old. He found the right surroundings. He took off. Outside of someone like Bo Nix, who left the SEC to fake, ultimately he faced weaker defenses and he improved in those new surroundings. But again, like we're still talking about a guy who had a lot of reps and then got a lot better as a year four starter. I think Hooker is a bit of an outlier in terms of the the multi-year starters who were pretty much written off only then to take off in a new scheme. 
I think it's more realistic in terms of upside. Like Florida gets what Jake Rudock was after transferring from Iowa to Michigan in 2015. Maybe a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, Connor, what the hell are you talking about? He wasn't going to be the guy that was going to go out and beat Ohio State, but he was a guy who was going to master the Jim Harbaugh offense. He was going to win over the locker room. He was going to give you a much higher floor than what you could have had and trying to establish what your offense is going to look like, that all-important proof of concept. We saw Florida's offensive floor way too much last year, Will. It was bad. It was so mm-hmm. low, especially from a passing standpoint. The last college football game that we saw from Richardson, he went 35 minutes and 25 seconds of real football time without a completion. That was six possessions. It was terrible. It was so bad. Kentucky game was awful. USF game was horrendous. Mizzou was a game that they probably should have lost. If 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 Mertz looks like that, and we have these moments. It'll be magnified that much more because Richardson could at least give you the home run play at a moment's notice and you're kind of mm-hmm. on the edge of your seat. I'm not sure Mertz has that ability. I don't think that he's necessarily going viral for some dime that he throws 70 yards downfield or he's going viral for a jump pass that he makes or he finds a guy wide open in the corner of the end zone. That's all out there. Okay, I'm not breaking any news by saying any of that stuff. Here's the good news. The pressure is on, especially knowing that the world will be watching that opener against Utah, kind of getting mm-hmm. that primetime slot, which actually, funny enough, that is exactly how Jake Rudock started at Michigan 2015. Thursday night game, national audience at Utah. Interesting enough, if Mertz just leads Florida to an 8-4 and four record, maybe wins a couple of those games that the Gators aren't supposed to, that means Billy Napier gets a little Toby Keith. That's coming. Little little hottie like me now, okay? Mm-hmm. That could be coming. That could be. If he doesn't, though, this gets bad. This gets mm-hmm. bad. That's that's not what Florida's focused on. They're focused on him just being decent enough to run the offense, maybe come back as the starter next year, take on that murderer's row schedule, and Billy Napier isn't left scrambling, hoping that a new starting quarterback can save his job. That's the ideal scenario for Florida. Okay, But if he is anything short of decent, I will be 100% all on board with any notion whatsoever about Billy Napier's seat being hot entering year three, because you can preach patience all you want. It's great. Florida recruiting, it is through the roof right now. Number three class in 2024. They they are hands off. Like, look, this is exactly what Billy Napier was hired to do. That that part Mm -hmm. is great. It's fantastic. This job still demands that you know what you're doing when you're between those lines. And personnel decisions are such a big part of that. Austin Armstrong, your 20-something defensive coordinator who may or may not be 30, depending on his Wikipedia page, he's also a very big part of this. But to me, mm-hmm. Napier whiffing on Mertz would be the fastest way for him to lose support and build massive, massive doubt heading into an all-important year three. So Napier's bar to to exceed, yeah, it's low. It's, it's low. In a weird way, Maybe that's what he needs. Maybe he will be able to exceed that and we'll be asking different questions about him in a few months. But now, right here and now, is the time that he needs to start proving people wrong. Any other Mertz thoughts from you? Plenty. Um, so I think <laughs> there's a couple of things about Mertz, right? So Mertz is an interesting quarterback in that he's kind of in that Kirk Cousins mold where he finds a way to commit turnovers without taking risks, which is really impressive. 
And if you're going to commit turnovers without taking risks, and when I say taking risks, we're talking about a guy with a, like an air yards for his career of sub seven, 6.5 air yards per attempt. Uh, and I mean, yeah, 38 touchdowns, 26 picks. Like he's finding a way to turn the ball over on ducks, which is impressive. And then, you know, negative rushing yards. You don't have the, the mobility that you see from Anthony Richardson. So the funny thing about that is we have basically the entire NFL has told you the way that you managed Anthony Richardson was so wrong that we don't care how poorly he played for you. Um, we're just going to draft him and change him because it literally we are going to throw. If you watched a second of tape on Anthony Richardson, you don't want him to be your franchise quarterback. And the NFL is just like, I don't care. This guy's talented. Billy Napier did such a bad job managing him. It's whatever. Now you're going to look at a guy in Graham Mertz who we've seen bad tape of for four years and gone, no, no, I see something you don't. That's a little bit worrisome. And I will say, considering all of that, uh, that doesn't distribute the most lack of awareness. What does is Graham Mertz showing up to Florida and wearing number 15. That is a good mm. example of why you should retire, why you should retire your legends jerseys because you will see Graham Mertz wearing Tim Tebow's number one day. If you don't build him a statue anyway, why so, do you not have that retired? I had, I had a, I can't remember what the, there is an answer to that. There is an answer <laughs> to that, but I had one of my buddies texted me a couple years ago why isn't 15 retired yet? Why have they not got around? And if it's not, that? why were you like, you know what? 15. I think I'll be 15. Um, anyway, so be 14. No, no, no. Can we talk about this real quick? Yeah. Quarterbacks, quarterbacks should have awareness of that. The right. Jackson Dart number two thing, I understand Jackson Dart wore number two throughout his career. You're replacing Matt Corral. Right. You wearing number two is probably not going to help you and your desire to succeed him and live up to that expectation. I think quarterbacks mm-hmm. need to have more awareness of the numbers that they pick because of the accidental comps that people will make and the the obvious why is this person wearing that number thing that a person can have from home and say they are not nearly as good as that player why would they do such a thing right and like that's kind of the thing is tim tebow personified i mean i love tim tebow growing up i really did so much that it didn't bother me when he put up 50 on lsu in 08 um but point being so i just think that like you know, uh, and we believe, or I at least believe, I can't, you know, we talked about it. Billy Napier's recruiting has been awesome. The only problem is you got to win some football games. And, you know, you can't just sell hopium forever. And the thing is, you know, if the Graham Mertz thing, you know, let's say he does solid, you know, what, what are we doing next year? You know, so point being, um, I think that it's just a very interesting thing. Because, you know, if you look at what Anthony Richardson is good at, Graham Mertz is good at the opposite things. So it's like, I know that you had the kind of sort of Anthony Richardson last year, but who would not want to? Like, who in America, which quarterback would not be like, I can fix Anthony Richardson? Every, every, especially offensive guru like Billy Napier. So if you have back-to-back years, I think you're exactly right. Or with completely polar opposite quarterbacks. You had the unproven dude who barely started, who was this freak that the NFL didn't care how bad he was. And then you have Graham Mertz, who has an abundance of tape that he will be an enterprise agent no matter what happens at Florida. I think that at the end of the day, I mean, enterprise, I don't know that they're opening doors the same way that they once did. You get some more NIL based opportunities. <laughs> Things change it's a little bit different now, the landscape, but I, look, he could get a, a very different career arc. And I'm, I'm trying to keep my mind open to that because he's going to be graded on such a different scale than Florida quarterbacks of years past. He's going to be graded on a different scale than even a Spencer Rattler. Okay. Yeah. He's going to be graded on a different scale than probably Joe Milton. I'm acknowledging that. I, I, I fully am because expectations are that low. But if he can simply have a, huh, okay, I didn't know he had that. Oh, all right. Florida won a game that maybe shouldn't have. 
Okay. Yeah, and Forbes like to be clear, that. when I say enterprise agent, I'm saying that doesn't say anything about him as a college as a college football. Tim Tebow was not a good pro quarterback. Like that's what I'm saying. Like it's not the fact that that does nothing about his college career. It's just the fact that we know he's not an NFL quarterback right now because sure. it would take something insane like what happened with Joe Burrow for it to be like, oh, this guy's actually like like mentally just different now. And so point being, like, yeah, I think uh I, I think like what I'm saying is he came in with a guy who was a pro ready quarterback and struggled with him. And then he has a guy who we know is not a pro ready quarterback. And maybe he needs to have that style of college quarterback. Maybe that's what he finds his, uh, his bread and butter on where he says, just don't turn the football over, do these short completions and don't try to like, you know, get this big highlight reel, which is what Anthony Richardson was famous for. So yeah, I, I will say though, I stick to my initial take of they simply can't be worse than last year. I just, I, there's so much wrong happened last year. You know, if we're going to say these Mullen guys were losers, which I am ready to hear that opinion, buddy. If we're going to say these Mullen guys were losers, there are a few of them on this team. You have a couple of cycles of Napier. You have these guys like ET and you have these younger guys that are part of the Billy Napier system. And I just think that they can't lose to Vandy twice in a row. I just, I don't know. Like, I think, I think even, like I said, let's say those, those equal out. I think at least they'll be able to make a little bit of noise. But as you say, it's like, yeah, I think Mertz is probably in the bottom three, bottom four. And if he gets to the middle of the pack, then Florida is survivable. But as we've talked about, when does Napier start doing the winning? Because, you know, 23 is going to be this like low expectation year. Maybe they'll, they'll play up. 24 is the hardest schedule I've ever seen in my life. And it's almost unfair. Like if I was Scott Strickland, I would already be trying to change the 2024 season because it's insane. So it's yeah, like, it's- when are you going to start doing the winning? <laughs> like. In a weird, indirect way, it would be probably a really bad look for Billy Napier if someone like Hugh Freeze had an eight and four season and Billy Napier mm-hmm. was sitting there at six mm-hmm. and six. And then you'd kind of look around and go, man, like you you had a different situation in terms of the roster overhaul. And I know Florida fans would push back on that and say that the recruiting had fell off to a certain extent. But at the same time, you would have, uh, okay, you, essentially a blank canvas at quarterback Robbie Ashford, not necessarily a guy that you you expected to be your starter immediately or however you want to evaluate what Auburn's quarterback situation was, but their passing game was atrocious, unbelievably atrocious last year. And instead of Florida with an offensive minded head coach like Napier with not the SEC West schedule. Maybe you would look at that and go, gosh, this this really isn't working just yet. And at the very least, because I don't think that it makes him a guy that they're going to fire. I don't think that's the case. But at the very least, it would make you go, okay, you're getting an offensive play caller in here. This is the way that it's going to go. Clearly, you can't take on all of what you think you can. And you need to learn how to defer and you need to learn how to delegate. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's not going to matter how much five-star talent you bring in here. You still need scheme. And you haven't figured that part out of it yet. That's the problem with Florida is that they're still trying to figure out scheme on both sides of the football. They haven't had it on the defensive side the last couple of years. They definitely didn't have it on the offensive side of the ball last year. And they're hoping that they have the right group of guys to be able to make it work this year. Because if they don't, this can get ugly. And you can talk about having a six-year plan and all those things, but it can get ugly in a hurry. So, yeah. And uh, I just want to say, you know, we, we will build in excuses for the first year. We sure did. We were dead on the money about Florida this year. We will build in the excuses for 2024. We've done it before. You got to win some football games this year, unfortunately, because you can't have three bad years in a row with Florida. You just can't. I don't just remember can't. the last time. I don't know. Like you can't sell hopium in year four. Like, ah, well, this year is going to be a little bit different. Like, I don't know what to say, you know? Yep. Usually does not work like that. That is what history mm-hmm. has told us. All right, let's kick it to Ray Davis. Really enjoyed chatting with him for the first time. If you know his backstory and what it's taken for him to get to this place, he is just, in my opinion, such an easy guy to root for. We talked about some of that, his upbringing, and obviously a lot of actual football things. So here's Ray. 
I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is all bang the drum team member in Kentucky running back Ray Davis. I guess I should probably be calling you LeBron, or was that just a vanity uh, nickname? No, no, no. It was Rebron, but uh, it was just a vanity nickname. It was an insider that we had uh, as a running back unit um, between a couple of the guys in there. So yeah, it, it was it was something funny for sure. They called you that for your hairline. That's not right. That no, no, no. It was, it was, it was. I was the old head in the room. I was the old head in the room. So you know, I had been there. And it was, it was, it was some inside jokes we definitely had. <laughs> uh, what's what's your full birth name, and what's what's the story behind that? Because you don't see you don't see guys who had like you have like five names. Like uh, yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Nah. Yeah, nah, I mean, you know, I got three middle names, so my, my whole name be Raymond, Walter, Jamar, Jamar Davis. That, that's awesome. You should introduce yourself as that. Like, make them announce <laughs> that on the Kentucky public address announce, announcement. Like, that'd be that'd be a sick way to be introduced for, for, for a football game. Why why did you decide to condense it down to just, just stick with Ray, keep it basic? Uh, you know, some people used to kind of botch my name. You know, they'd be like Raman or Raheem or Raymond and – you know, so it kind of got a little frustrating as I got older. Then, you know, I kind of just—I've always been going by Ray or Ray Ray, just you know, from my family. So I kind of kept it that. You know, Ray Davis kind of just sounds like a perfect football name as you as you're screaming it through the intercom as someone's going to score, get a first down, and just running. So it was, it was like a perfect segue to to shorten it down. It is a great football name. You're you're absolutely right about that. Uh, I do want to get into some actual football things with you and and everything that you got lined up this year at Kentucky. But I want to start with kind of how you got here and which based on everything that I've read and heard about you was different from the journey that a lot of us have. Uh, you grew up in the foster care system and you've been a big advocate for for kids going through that. And you want to kind of shine a light on that. How did your experience with that kind of shape your, your perspective in what you have now as an adult today? Um, you know, kind of like I, you know, I said previously is just that, you know, the decisions that I made when I was younger, I knew that whatever decision I had to make, I was going to have to deal with it, you know, whether good or bad. And being the age that I was at 12 and making the decision that I made, I knew that everything from that point on was going to be difficult. But I knew if I kept persevering through it and finding a way to to get through it, that, you know, there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel when, um, you know, I just kept fighting and I had to make a lot of uh, sacrificing decisions that I don't think a, a kid in my position could have made with deciding to travel across the, the country and go to school in, in New York and, and leave his family and to try to chase a dream that I had not known what would be the outcome, you know, honestly, um, you know, going making the decisions that I made, I just never knew what was going to happen. Um, and 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 it's also just kind of bringing a light to know that there's a lot of kids who who were in my situation or who is in my who who are in that situation is that no one knows the outcome. It is a complete mystery. And the biggest thing that I'm advocating for is to have resources for those children, resources for the for the kids to be able to have someone to lean on, to have stability, to have someone they can speak to and talk to and to know they're not just shunned into a darkness and into a dark space. To know that, A, whatever dream you do have, as long as you have the right mindset to pursue that and you also have the people in your corner who may or may not be your extended family, but people who are willing to see you thrive and to achieve your goals, you know, that that too matters for them. And that's the voice and the ears that they need to have around them. 
Yeah. How did, how did you lean on, on people like that? Cause you know, everybody, everybody needs people that, that, that support them in life. And, and it seemed like you got some, some great influences uh, and were able to, to kind of get on this like cross country journey that, that I think, you know, you, you felt the need to, to, to want to take that chance and be able to say, yeah, I think I can play college sports. I want to get an education. I want to do all these things. How, how did those, th- those people in your life kind of allow you to, to get on that path? I think, you know, I speak, I kind of can speak for them would just be, you know, understanding me and understanding, you know, being patient with me. You know, as a kid growing up, I didn't really trust a lot of people. I didn't, I didn't have trust for those who were trying to see right by me and who wanted to see me succeed. So, you know, for the, the people in my life who I still have today, I think, you know, the biggest thing they can say is just patience, you know, understanding and, and gaining my trust and knowing that I don't trust easily. Um, and, you know, and and I think and I thank them for them for, you know, sticking in my sticking in my corner and just sticking with me. Um, you know, not giving up during the times that I wanted to give up. And and I felt that, you know, they weren't there for the right reason. But, you know, they continuously showed up every day and proved that they were they were there for the right reason. And they were going to push me to, uh, you know, go to where I wanted to be. You seem like such a positive guy. Were you a really positive guy growing up, too? No, nah, I'll be honest. I wasn't. I wasn't positive. You know, I, I you know, some days, the dark days kind of trumped the good days a lot when I was young. But as I learned to just, you know, roll with the punches, I started to just be, I don't want to say contempt, but I just started to realize that, again, life's going to throw you curveballs. Not everything's going to be a fastball straight down. You're going to hit a home run. You may hit a couple ground outs. You may hit a couple pop flies. But after a couple at-bats, you're going to knock one out the park. And that's just kind of how I approach life was, you know, every now and then it's not going to be a home run. It may just be a single or double. Um, and just kind of living with what was given at that moment and knowing the bigger pitch and the bigger hit was going to come if I continued to apply myself and kept going and kept attacking, attacking, and attacking. So then that's when I became more positive. But I can tell you, my younger days, I was kind of negative and just kind of was in the dark days. But I, I, I found my way out of it. You've always had a knack for sports. I saw you played a bunch of different sports. I, I read the the Vandy story that they did on you a couple of years ago. Your dad broke OJ's single season touchdown record in San Francisco. That's crazy. <laughs> you should bring that out like all the time. Yeah, nah, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I wasn't around during those days. So I definitely, uh, I always tell him I don't believe it unless somebody pulls some tape out, but you know, it's cemented and I can't bring it up. And then that'd be one other thing you have over me. You know, I'm slowly trying to catch up to the accolades. I think I'm winning right now, but that is forever something he can trump me on is he is, he did break OJ Simpson's record. So that, that, that is a big thing back in the day and how good OJ was. Uh, JJ Weaver said that he met your dad on your recruiting visit to Kentucky and he was all in, like you met your family, he met you. And he's like, this is, this is the guy. I can't wait to have him here. He also said that you remind him about the 129 rushing yards you had with Vandy against Kentucky last year. You remind him like every day. Uh, Stoops was pretty sold on you that day too. And, you know, obviously you leading Vandy to its first SEC win in three years, pretty big deal as well. What was that? What was that moment like? And was that maybe the favorite moment that you've had of your career so far? Yeah, well, I mean, to kind of correct you, I wouldn't say I was the main reason or, or I, you know, I definitely was a, a team thing, um, you know, 
a lot of those guys at Vandy, we worked hard, tremendously hard, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to to even be in that moment and have that position to win. So, you know, shout out to those guys. I was just, you know, blessed to be a part of it and be in the position that they had given me, um, you know, being their starting back and just being able to be a part of that great special moment. So, you know, that's definitely, I would say that was a team thing. But, you know, other than that, it was good. You know, it, it was a great day. Um, you know, it was a great day for the um, Vanderbilt, great day for Nashville and just, you know, that whole Commodore Nation over there. Um, you know, me personally, I was just happy to see a lot of a lot of smiles on people's faces. You know, there was a lot of guys on that team who had been there for pre numerous years and had not got a win, or you know, that was some guys' first SEC win in general. So, in looking back at it, you know, I just was glad to see the smiles on everybody's faces. I was glad to see people have finally achieved that big moment that they had been waiting for, and you know, the coaching staff and just breaking that that long history of the losing streak was just something I would definitely look back at. Um, but the the biggest moment that trumps everything is just seeing my teammates and how happy they were. Was it hard to leave Vandy after the opportunity that they gave you? I know you got off to a great start at, at Temple and 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 getting that opportunity to play power five college football. But was it was it tough to kind of say, hey, look, I want to I want to have a different opportunity. I want to set myself up in a different sort of way and and leave a place where you, you got to have a lot of success and having that thousand yard receipt, having that thousand yard rushing season that you had. Was it tough to be able to to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to move on to something else? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's tough leaving anywhere. Um, you spend, you know, multiple years at, uh, you know, I had been at Temple for two years, and it was very difficult to make that transition to leave that and, and go to Vandy. But, yeah, I would say Vandy just because it played a bigger impact on me off the field, you know, building the relationships, building the bonds. And, you know, I always say I think that was the moment that I had my real college experience of just getting to meet different people outside of the athlete community and and knowing and and knowing that those are going to be lifelong friends. So that was definitely hard. And the football aspect, too, you know, those are my brothers no matter what, you know, on and off the field. And it was difficult because I felt that, you know, had I gone back uh, – you know, it could have it could have been a, a story worth winning, but you know, I felt that it was the best on my case to, you know, f refresh, find somewhere new, but then also try to find somewhere that's going to enhance my ability at the next level, offensive style wise, and just the players around me and their ability. What's the transfer portal like? What's that experience like getting in there and kind of not really knowing? what to expect. And everybody always talks about like, Oh, you know, certain guys they know cause they've been tampered with and other, other guys you just kind of enter and you just hope for the best. But what was that experience like for you? Ah, uh, you know, it was, as a, again, like you said, as an older guy, you don't really pay too much attention to it. I think when you're young going into the portal, the, the uniforms, the stadiums, the, the the big things they flash out to you more I think as an older guy myself I go into the mindset of okay how can I come in and and compete for a job how can I come in and and best help put the team in the best right positions to win so that was kind of my whole thought process in the portal was where am I going to fit in how can I help us win and what's the bigger picture here you know is it bowl game or is it national championship is it conference championship is it just getting to where you know the program used to be so there was a lot of factors in it but my factor definitely came down to you know 
how am I going to be the best player I can be um, on the field for this team and how can they help me get to my ultimate goal of being in the NFL when Kentucky just checked all the right boxes again with, with Cohen coming back and having Dev and having these players on the outside and, and then the defense itself just being, you know, a top 15, top 10 defense in the country, you know, every, every box was checked and I knew, okay, you know, I, I could be a missing piece that can help us get to that, to that next step. Was there any other school that was even in consideration for you, or was it kind of Kentucky or bust? Uh, no, there was definitely some schools in consideration. Um, you know, I have an opportunity to go back home to the West Coast um, with, with USC and Cal. Um, and then, you know, in, in Colorado was definitely in there too. So it, it, it was some, some schools who had to compete. But, you know, Cohen's offense kind of trumped just because, again, it was the closest to what an NFL playbook was going to be like or how realistic uh, – you know, the NFL comparison uh, style was. You say Colorado. Did Dion make you a pitch? Uh, I had to keep that one to myself. But, yeah, I got a pitch. <laughs> I, I think that experience would be would just be cool in itself. And I think that's why you see the success that he had in the transfer portal. And obviously the success that Kentucky had in, in the portal. And I think seeing how active they are, that's kind of the new way of being able to to look at, at the roster and say, hey, we can get somebody like Ray Davis who, who had a lot of success last year. Uh, you have that 1,000-yard rushing season. You don't get preseason all-SEC love. What was your reaction when you saw that? Uh, I mean, I didn't get preseason all-SEC love the year before. Um, you know, so it was, it was nothing new. Every, every year I love being an underdog story. I love being the guy who has to prove everybody wrong. Um, you know, because it just makes my um, my passion and my motivation even more. Uh, you know, I think my whole life I've always played the underdog where I've always been the guy who no one, um, you know, that no one thought could exceed other expectations. And, you know, all I do is worry about what I can do and what I can control. And I can't control political views. I can't control other people's opinion. But what I can control is what I do on that field. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people saw that last year. And the goal is to try to, you know, do better than what I did last year. A lot's been said, a lot's been written about the Kentucky offensive line, the struggles last year. What have been your impressions of that group since you arrived on campus? Yeah, my, my guys are fine. You know, my guys up front are fine, man. I, I think all the criticism um, that all these spectators and the people outside have, man, I got to I gotta stop. You know, these guys are working hard. They're working their butts off. They're doing what they got to do. And, you know, there's, it's a lot of experience on that line. It's a lot of veteranness. It's a lot of leadership. And I think that's going to – they're, they're going to be our backbone. They're going to be the reason why we are successful and and, and what we do. And, um, you know, I think everybody talks about Dane and, and me and, and the receiving core, but it's like guys got to put some respect on our O-line. And those guys are coming along and they're getting better each and every day. And they don't complain and they attack every workout. They attack every practice. Like it's, it's a game rep. Kentucky fans know your receivers very well in, in seeing Dane and, and Barry and these two guys who are expected to have huge years. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, are saying this could be the best Kentucky receiving room that they've ever had. What what should the outside world, those who maybe haven't seen those guys up close, what should what should we know about them? Uh, I don't, don't want to give up too much, you know, because them guys definitely are our secret weapons. Um 
But, you know, I could definitely tell y'all what to expect as two guys and, and not even just two guys. You know, we got to put in we got to put in the conversation, Tavion Robinson, Dakel Crowdis and, and Anthony Brown. I mean, those are other, you know, three names, three big names who are coming along and doing what they got to do. So I think they complement Dane and and very on very well. Um, and I just think our whole receiving core as a unit um, is getting better and and, and they're improving and, and they're showcasing different skills and abilities. And I think, you know, as 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 a Kentucky player and to tell the the big blue nation what to expect is that that whole receiving core is going to become monstrous as as the years to come and, and definitely this upcoming season. What are we about to see from Devin Leary? Man, you about to see what you saw, what y'all saw in 2021 and 2020. Um, you know, a guy who's going to come in and, and 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 take over that role of being the the, the leader. Um, you know, leading us to success and 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 that's a guy who was well respected in our locker room, well respected in the facility, and, and just well respected all around. And you know, that that's one of my my uh, my my closest friends. We came in together, so. You know, just just a guy who's poised and who's trying to win. You know, it's not worried about nothing else. If it's not about football, he's not worried about it. Um, he's not worried about the outside noise and, and speculations of what other people are saying. He's worried about his teammates, what he can do to help us win, and Kentucky. And, and that's all he cares about. And I think he's showing that, and we're starting to see that. And that's the type of mindset we're all having, too, is if it ain't about Kentucky, if it ain't about ball, then we ain't really worried about nothing else. I, I had him on right after right after Stoops. He kind of called you guys out publicly and was like that we're, we're not we're not at the level we need to be practicing. And and I, I, that really kind of pissed me off what we're seeing in spring ball from these guys. And when when a coach says that to you, you just you don't get that every day. And it's, it's one thing to say it in the heat of a postgame moment or something like that. But to say that after a spring practice. I imagine that hit a little bit differently, and and Devin was talking about some of that as well. How did that kind of hit you, and and how did that you know as as a new face who is probably you know trying to figure out like all right, what's my role going to be, and and how do I speak up, when do I speak up? How did that kind of impact you and the way that you feel about your role in this locker room? Um, I think me, I I, I took it harsh, um, not in a bad way or a negative way. I just took it as you know, hey. We got to step up. You know, we we are we are a team who has a lot of talent, but right now we're not playing like it. Um, you know, and I think the whole team took that message and we ran with it that next day. And and we came out to practice following all centers and just starting fast. And um, you know, as a, as as me, you know, I'm a representation of our running back room and, and our unit and our running back coach. And if I'm not doing my job, then I'm letting those guys down. And 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 others feel that that if I'm letting them down, then maybe our room can't do what we got to do. So I picked things up. I became a leader, you know, just within the the whole team, not just my unit. Um, and I attacked that practice, and and I have you know attacked it every practice since then. And and we as 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 a unit, and you know, we love that our coach can do that. You know, we, you know, um, a coach that's going to sit there and express how he really feels and not just sugarcoat it. You know, Coach Stoops is, is, is a man of his word. And, you know, he's also a coach that'll give you a straight off his back. And and we all respect what he says because we know he cares about us and he cares about our well-being and he wants to see everybody succeed. And and if that's having to take crit- critical, I mean, constructive criticism, then, you know, it is what it is. But it's, it's coming from a place of love. It's never coming from a place of negativity. What should we expect to see from you in this offense? Are you going to be catching 40 passes this year? Are you going to be, do you want to be that feature back in the rock 20, 25 times a game? Like what, what's your ideal scenario for how this plays out? 
uh, my ideal scenario is to be the better than what I was last year. So, you know, whatever that is and running the ball, catching the ball, blocking, um, or just being on the sideline, being a good teammate, uh, I'm trying to become better than what I was last year. And then that's the same quote I'm using next year. I'm trying to become better than that year previously. So just about ele ele elevating my game. And and hopefully at the end of the season, I'm I'm in talks of as coming out as one of the top 10 backs in, uh, in college football and hopefully one of the top 10 backs going into that draft that upcoming year. This has been great and really appreciate the time. I want to get you out of here with uh, some rapid fire, just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah, yes, I appreciate that. All right. Uh, first one, what is your favorite opposing stadium that you've played in? And you can include your time at Temple as well. Uh, uh, I, 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 I honorable mention, I wish I played at Neely Stadium. Never got a chance to play there, but that was always a place I wanted to play at. I would have to say, though, um, I mean, Alabama. You know, we played at Alabama 7 o'clock at night. That place was rocking. Um, you know, the fans stayed all the way from the start to the end. So that definitely had to be one of the best places I played at. And I know, like, one game at a time, all that stuff. But that game on the schedule, them getting to come to Lexington this year, like how rare that is. You guys are going to be pretty fired up for that one, too, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we haven't even thought about that. You know, we uh, I haven't even thought about it. I haven't even got that far down. I couldn't tell you what day that is. Uh, the, the day that's written on my mirror in my bathroom and my refrigerator right in front of me is September 2nd, Ball State. It's all that matters. Exactly. Uh, okay. You spent two years in Nashville, but you've lived places coast to coast. So you have a good perspective on this. Is hot chicken overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I'll be honest. I ain't never had it. Um, what? I never, I never had it because I thought it was overrated. Um, you know, so many people kept talking about it. So it got to the point where I was like, I don't even want to try it. You know, it's like watching, it's like watching a new TV show. Like everybody's talking about it and you're seeing all over social media to the point where like, I, I don't really want to watch it no more. Cause everybody spoke about it. So that's kind of how I feel. I ain't never had hot chicken. Hopefully someday I will, but I ain't had it yet. Okay. So what, what is a food that like people, people should be eating here, but maybe it's something that you grew up with in San Francisco. That's mm -hmm. like, that, that just kind of speaks to what, you know, like it should be a national cuisine and it's something that you have a very like near and dear place in your heart for. Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, I was a part, when I was a kid, I was a part of the big brother, big sister program and my big brother, um, Patrick Dowley, when I, when I like probably got somewhere around high school, maybe, yeah, I took me to this place called Tadish Grill. Um, it's like a, a old style, like, you know, fancy kind of restaurant-ish. And they have this thing called a devil crab casserole. Um, and it's like this cheesy base at the top, which you could have, you could put rice in it if you want. You know, rice, it has crab with a kind of cheese melted on top. You could have mushrooms in it if you like. And we had been going there for years. I think, you know, I've been there since probably 2018 now, but that is definitely a, a a thing that I wish was kind of worldwide and I can just go back and, and have that because that was like probably top five best dish I've had in my 23 years of living. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I need to uh, – you're making me hungry just talking about this. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I saw at one point you wanted to be a lawyer. I also saw that you want to be on ESPN. So what post-football career, what, mm. what's, what's the ideal path for Ray Davis? Uh, well, you know, it, it depends on how far this Vanderbilt University diploma takes me, um, you know, but 
uh, you know, I've, I've, I've always been near dear wanting to be a sports commentator. You know, that's always something I've always wanted to do. I've commentated hockey games in high school. I've commentated our basketball games in high school. Uh, I have my own radio shows. I've, I've had podcasts. So, you know, talking and commentating and talking about something that I've been doing my whole life is sports is is my near, uh, you know, hopefully destination at the end of the season. You can see the transition but a lot of players making that jump from professionals to now going behind the camera and, and talking about a sport that ju- they just had left. Yeah, you you definitely could have a future in that. There's no doubt in my mind. You got to just fire off takes too. That's that's the new the new way to to go viral or get attention to your stuff because like you you could back it up just fine and would have no issue. But you could go on a show like First Take and you would be perfectly fine based on all the the media that I've seen you do. That would be like not an issue at all for you. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, hopefully not. So that's uh, that's the goal, though. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. Then I realized how much school that was, and and I had to I had to give up on that dream a little fast. Yeah, no, I, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, lawyer plus going into all that debt, no, not worth it at all. Just stick to sports. Uh, okay, you were a pretty good basketball player too. Are you good enough to play some garbage time minutes for for Cal at UK? Oh, for sure. I'm a hundred percent positive on that. I think if you need a uh, a fourth string point guard, I can step in that role and, and and go into some garbage time and potentially make about nine points. So I went in on that call. Maybe they need a reserve during the March Madness. I will gladly sit at the end of the bench. No one has to look at me at all until about 10 seconds left on the second half of the clock. I'll go in and make a shot and just call it a day. Probably the microwave. You just heat up in the last last few seconds of the game. Seconds, yeah, I let those, let those guys – Go ahead and win the game for a uh, shout out to UK basketball. And then, then I'll come in and crunch time when we're up by hopefully 30. And and Cal just, you know, is gratefully looking at the end of the bench and sees me. Yeah. I mean, the guy played his own son. Like you, you played <laughs> you in a, in a heartbeat. No doubt about it. Okay. Last one for you. And we'll, we'll tie it back to the beginning. Who's the GOAT, LeBron or MJ? Oh, man. MJ. Um, I'm an MJ guy. And I ain't, I mean, I grew up watching LeBron, but. I think ever since watching that documentary and just hearing the stories about MJ, I mean, the competitiveness and the day in the air, like, you know, having to try to get through the Pistons, you know, for 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 years. So I got to say MJ. But if yeah. I got a chance to be LeBron, I would tell him I would say LeBron. Yeah, no, I, I, like you're not going to say to LeBron, hey, you're not the GOAT. MJ is the GOAT. I mean, you, you're going to be. And especially you would tell him the story of, of you know, the the nickname at Bandy, and he'd get a laugh yeah. out of that. And you'd be like, all right, that is my goat. So you'd probably get along with him really well. Yeah, I mean, if LeBron seems to hear as anybody points his direction, hey, I, I'll give you my phone number. We could chop it up on FaceTime. We could, we could laugh about it. <laughs> love it. Love it, man. Uh, really appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything this year and beyond, man. Thank you so much. Have a good day. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. All right, figuring it out. Um, so I really do try and not make this uh, a segment that's just about having kids and, and what that process is like. But obviously, what I'm going through these first few months of, of being a dad, that's okay. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. So. Daycare is the subject of figuring out today. Flying solo on this one. Will admitted to me, we had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. Will admitted to me like, yeah, I know 0% about daycare. So he probably wouldn't have been very high volume contributor to this one anyways. But um, yeah, daycare is something that we have been talking about in my household 
for a while now. And the fact that we're a week away from it, this is Lauren's last week of maternity leave is pretty daunting. We're honestly kind of terrified in a lot of ways, which I know a lot of new parents are, um, as someone who like didn't really understand that before I fully get it now. And the idea of passing her off to someone that I've had like three conversations with in a totally new setting is so scary. So, uh, yeah, we're going through it a little bit. We're going through it a little bit. I just like, I also just like spending time with her and having her around the house. And it's going to be weird that the majority of time that she spends awake will not be with us, uh, which will look a little bit different during the season, but it's still going to be, I mean, a schedule where, and maybe I'm gonna, I mean, I'm hoping to be able to pull her out of daycare like Friday afternoons, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty much, yeah, like Monday through Friday, Lauren and I are working. She's going to be at daycare. And so just that change is going to be really significant for us. And by the way, apologies, if you hear a crying baby in the background, she may be a little fussy. She might, might be overdue to, to get some lunch. So yes, um, you might hear Claire in the background as well, probably just dreading daycare the same way that we are. So I thought this would be a nice time to be able to take this to the Facebook group, kind of ease some of my concerns about daycare and make me feel a little bit better about it. And also acknowledging that there are probably some horror stories out there. So let's start with this one from Derek Walden. Derek says, my son just turned six months. We opted to not do daycare because holy crap, it's expensive. Luckily, my mom retired last June and her mom only works a couple days a week, so they keep him for us. Oh my gosh. But it was extremely hard for my wife to go back to work and leave him, so she's been trying to go PRN. She's a RRN. I uh, don't know those abbreviations, but I'm sure we're going to get some context clues here. It was finally approved, and now she's able to work on an as-needed basis, which is good because one of those babysitters isn't exactly the most reliable, and we've had to take we've we've had we've both had to take days off anyway when she's randomly unable to keep him. There's no way to really make you feel better. You're going to feel bad about sending them off, whether it's with a grandparent or to daycare. It sucks. Yeah, daycare is really expensive found that out early in the process thought oh we'll be good we Lauren and I both have a lot of flexibility I've been working from home for the last six years since we got rid of our SDS offices in Orlando just with so many full-time people working remotely we were long before the COVID trend of that but Lauren's been kind of like 60% from home and you know, only goes into the office two days anyway. So you kind of go into this process thinking that'll be great. We'll be able to save on some money. We'll be able to do part-time daycare. And then you come to find out that part-time daycare, at least for infants is basically useless because they're like, Oh, 15 hours a week, but you still pay 80% of the price. And you're paying like over a thousand bucks a month, even at the cheapest places. And you very quickly realize, Oh, okay. This is uh this is not going to be an easy thing to take on. I could see why if you have the options to be able to avoid it, totally understand it because from a financial standpoint, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be quite the thing for our bank accounts to take on, but you know, if you have options, that's ideal too. It sounds like it sounds like Derek had had a couple of people in his life that were able to help take care of that. And even that though, he's right. We went out 
for the first time, the first and only time that Lauren and I have gone out without Claire was a couple of weeks ago when Lauren's sister was in town and Lauren's sister has a daughter and a young daughter is pregnant with their second. So she's around young kids. She's really, really good with kids. And Lauren and I still going out for that first time with her sister had those moments of, oh, what if she doesn't do this? What if she doesn't take a bottle? What if she lets you know, Claire stay on the floor and, and our cat is bothering her, bothering her, whatever. Just like all those things that go through your head. And yeah, it's it's going to be one of those experiences that you just kind of grit your teeth and get through for us from a trust standpoint. And I'm sure that that's going to take a little bit for us to truly be kind of hands off, at least in the in the ways that we need to be. Scott Strauss says, our oldest, now almost 19 months old, started daycare about a year ago. We were nervous about it as any parents are, but we had friends who trusted, friends who we trusted who recommended the place to us and had their own kids there. Now, almost a year later, she absolutely loves going to, quote, school and seeing all of her friends. The socialization is so great for them. Most important thing is to find a daycare that aligns with your values and that you trust. It is a massive risk, but the good ones are worth it. We love our daycare so much. Our youngest, who is two months old, is starting there in October. Also, um, as everyone has acknowledged, you will get sick a lot and your daughter will be sick a lot. But the way I look at it, it's either now or when they start kindergarten. So might as well get it over with. I'm excited for the socialization aspect. Not so much when she is that little and doesn't really acknowledge a whole lot of human beings, but the the ability to, to be able to see what other people look like in that setting and like know that there are other people who cry and she's not just surrounded by adults all the time. That'll be really beneficial, I think, or at least I hope. And yeah, the recommendation from a friend is key. We picked our daycare somewhat out of necessity because so many of them, even when we were making these calls two or three months before she was born, they didn't have spots for her. Like she's going to be an infant who's not going to be enrolling until August and you don't have any spots for, but it's really, really difficult to find. And so we went on these, these tours, we just did a couple, couple of tours to see what they had to offer. And I felt like, I felt like Jim and Pam where I'm just thinking the entire time, like don't walk in on the director of daycare, taking a poop in the children's bathroom. That would be really bad. Did not happen to me, thankfully, but you kind of go into it under a certain impression, probably based on recommendations, which the one that we picked was pretty highly recommended, even though I think there are some aspects of it that we're still skeptical about. We're like, oh, does, is this nice enough outside? Is this too close to a major street? Like all these things that you, you that you think about that you're like, can, can I picture going there each and every time to pick her up and drop her off and do all those things? Uh, it helps though when you have someone who who def who comes in and, and recommends a place because obviously if they have their trust, it's a whole lot different than just reading what a random Google review says about a specific place. And yeah, getting sick. I'm gonna try and work through it as best I can. I really try and protect my voice so that I don't have episodes where I come on here and I sound like crap because who wants to listen to that? I even have moments later on in an episode where I'll, I'll, I'll find that my voice is kind of giving out a little bit and I'll acknowledge it. And I, and I hate, I hate listening to myself sound like that. So I will do my best, but acknowledging the fact that I am likely going to be sick a decent amount if this first fall that we're, we're doing this. So apologies in advance, a little bit of grace from you, the listener is greatly appreciated on that. On that. 
Andrew Diaz says, you are a braver man than I, Connor. My son's aunt babysits him every day, but I would be terrified if I had to send him to a daycare. Lucky for you, man. <laughs> An aunt who babysits your child every single day is a blessing unlike many. Okay, That is about as good as you can ask for. And I'm not, you know, we didn't get any more details on this, especially if that's free. If you're not having to pay for childcare and you have a family member taking care of your son every single day, um, man, uh, that's, that's, I don't want to say that's like the best thing you can ever ask for as a parent. Cause it's not like, Oh, healthy kid, smart, good values, all those different things, but that's gotta be up there, man. That's, that's really nice. And getting over the fear of being with a stranger, I'm hoping this is kind of is this is going to be like when you go to college and you don't really know anybody and you just assume you're going to figure it out and pretty soon the the habits that you develop of of college and socialization and all those things they become such second nature things to you a month in you're like oh what was it like before I you know met these people and I'm hoping that daycare feels like that because of how routine oriented it is so yeah, the strangers element, terrifying, but I just keep telling myself two, three weeks in, we're going to be okay with it. And that aspect's not going to terrify me. Let's go to this one from Zabulin, Zabulin Mathis. Zabulin says, our daughter spent roughly four years in daycare. At first, I was totally against it because I did not like the idea of someone not know watching her and the fact that neither my wife or I ever had to go to daycare. I eventually realized that in our situation, I was wrong. It was the best thing we ever did. It definitely helped her come out of her shell. She is very social, learned how to share, and it helped her learn how to make friends. Not to mention she learned a lot. It definitely helped prepare her for pre-K. That's just our experience, and I know everyone's is different. I hope this helps. It does help. Really does help. I want her to be able to make friends. I want her to be comfortable around other babies. Those interactions have been so limited, and it's kind of hard to to create those if you're not going to daycare regularly. Obviously, there are other ways to do that, but that's going to be hopefully the biggest positive of this experience, that by the time she does get to that pre-K level, she's like, yeah, I'm good to go. I know how to share. I know how to play. I know how to do everything that, that kids should do in a setting like that. Let's go to this one from Carolyn Gwyneth. Carolyn says, each state has a daycare registry lookup. So before you tour any place, make sure it is A, registered, B, in good standing, C, review the violations and the degree of severity for each violation for the last three years. Ask the director about the violations and what was done to correct it. Whoa. Some of the violations are paperwork related and some are actual child safety related. Always trust your gut. These people may spend more time with your daughter than you uh, then you will, it sucks, but it's reality. So you will have to make sure you're comfortable with them. And she's got a story. We switched daycares a week before my son was supposed to start because I just wasn't comfortable with the first place. It just didn't sit right. A month later, I found out the original place was written up for multiple serious violations in the infant room where my son would have been. Uh, that's not good. Also, you will be sick constantly for the first year. Start taking vitamin C or whatever else you do to prevent illness because you'll need it. It wasn't great that I drove a lot of great advice, by the way. That was exactly what I was kind of looking for. And, you know, thankfully at this, at this point in the process, going through it and 
already having one picked out, you know, you feel a little bit more comfortable with some of those things that she brought up. But I will admit there was one time I drove by the daycare and not that I was seeking this out. It was just on my way home from somewhere and I saw a fire truck in the daycare and I thought to myself, huh, I shouldn't look too far into this. I don't know what that line is. We'll figure out what that line looks like of what's something that just kind of happens and it's outside of their control because they have a certain number of kids there who left a cheese pita in too long. Maybe they have their version of Ryan Howard. I don't know. Could have been something like that. But that was definitely one of those things that I thought to myself, do I want to know the answer to this? Or would I rather just be kind of in the dark and assume that every vibe that I've gotten from this place, from the conversations that I've had, and from the reviews that we've read are positive. I don't know. But that is the other thing too, is that you can switch. This isn't necessarily something where we're approaching this, assuming we're going to be at the same daycare for her entire pre-K experience. We can, if it doesn't make us comfortable, always try and pull her out and go somewhere else if something like that comes up. But being vigilant and stuff like that, obviously very important, something that we're going to have to do a good job of staying on top of. Eric Beasley says, I'm a father of three. Just beware that any time you send them somewhere with a ton of other kids is inevitable that they will get sick. So be prepared to send them to daycare so you can work just to have to take the day off to stay home with them. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for that. There, and there could be some, some shuffling of the schedule if that happens. I'm warning people right now. We're going to, tr- I'm going to try and be as consistent as I possibly can. And I, very much pride myself on that. I want everybody to know when they can expect podcasts from me, when they can expect stories from me, stuff like that. But there could be some things that come up where let's say it's a Wednesday during the season and, oh, Claire is really, really sick. Got to go pick her up. Lauren's at the office all day. I'm going to be taking care of her. It's a week three preview pod that I'd planned on recording that day. Might have to wait an extra day. So a little bit of grace Again, I'll be asking of people as we make this this transition. Hopefully those experiences are few and far between, but it's inevitable that it's going to come up and we'll have some stuff impacted, but I'll try and keep everyone aware of any sort of changes in the schedule. Drew Page says, I have no kids and never will, but one time me and my wife had to drop off a U-Haul and it was a combo gas station daycare U-Haul, which didn't seem that safe, honestly. Okay, get that, but... There are certain standards that daycares have to live up to if they want to be certified from the state. I don't know that that one was checking all the boxes that they were probably looking for. Again, people get away with a lot of different things. The idea that you would ha- that you would send your your child to a place like that probably a little bit sketchy. They're probably not fully registered in the way that they should be and certified. But like there there are a lot of people who told us don't overthink it and don't worry about if your child your infant isn't learning sign language or something like that because a lot of these places have a certain threshold that they have to be able to meet and as long as they're doing that there's really not a whole lot of variance with infants now it's a little bit different when when kids get older and stuff like that you have to worry about classroom size all those different things but especially with infants a lot of what you can do with them is pretty standard can only have a certain number of them. It's like like you can only have four infants per instructor or something like that. But yeah, I 
don't think that our, our daycare thankfully is sitting next to, um, a U-Haul place and combined with some sort of gas station as well. Um, not exactly a, like a Wawa U-Haul daycare trio situation, at least not that I know of. Who knows? Maybe they got things going on in the back. And if they do, you will absolutely hear me talk about that. That will be a, a topic of discussion moving forward. All right. Uh, let's end with a little lad of the week. I'm going to stay in the family here. I know this has been a really family heavy pod to, fin- to finish with today, but forgive me for shouting out my brother and sister-in-law. I was really, really grateful that they came down to Orlando they have a loaded summer schedule. It seems like they've been out of town like every other weekend, but they made it down here, got to see their niece for the first time, bought her a few presents, got to spend some quality time with her. Just kind of had like that right attitude that you hope visitors have a little bit of like a down for whatever, whatever you guys need. Can we do anything around the house? I mean, it was really helpful. I love a good stress-free visitor and that's not necessarily a given when you have an infant, someone who's 10 weeks old. Um, and with Claire, we just kind of hope that whatever visitors we have, which we've had four separate visitors who have come down since she's been born, family members, of course. Um, we just kind of hope that we don't have these moments where she's inconsolable for a long stretch of time or something like that. You know, just don't want anything to turn into a big ordeal. And outside of her refusing to take a bottle over the weekend, which I don't know why she did that. Babies are fickle. We didn't really have any sort of issues like that. So, I mean, it was, it was just awesome to be able to have them down here and love that they were willing to do that. Spent a lot of time at East End Market for, for a couple hours. Orlando natives, you know what I'm talking about. But very grateful that I was able to have my brother and sister-in-law down here helping out, being able to meet her. Claire's been good to us. She's been a really good baby. Going to be tough to send her off to daycare. If you haven't, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, follow us on X. I still hate saying that. I'm going to hate saying it every single time, but do so at the SDS pod, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group, your name, Red on Air with Figuring Out or Golden Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.